Well, good morning. There's no place like this place, any place near this place, so this must be the place. Most of you didn't hear that, so I better say that again. There's no place like this place, any place near this place, so this must be the place. We're in the right place this morning, and that's a good thing. I trust that you've had a great 4th of July. This is a special day for me, not only because I'm back again here at First Baptist Church, as I am each of the Sundays of the summer, but uh, for the first time since I left here 15 years ago, my entire family is here today. Uh, from, from here in Illinois and from up in Wisconsin and uh, part of it soon to be from Tennessee. Uh, that's uh, going to be exciting. And uh, we have uh, four additions to our family that uh, you, if you make a point of going and seeing them, you will get to meet. Uh, you'll enjoy each of them. Uh, one of them will be very shy. Um, <clears throat> one of them isn't real, real talkative. And um, two of them are real people people. Uh, our granddaughter is, uh, she is, she's pretty, she's pretty cool. And then our uh, grandson Bentley is also very, very much into people. I trust that you'll take your Bibles, if you will, please, and turn to uh, Acts chapter 4. Let me set this up for us as we begin this morning. Uh, this is the uh, fourth in our series that we are doing on beginning discipleship and focusing on evangelism and how we can become more actively involved in uh, evangelizing around us. In the first sermon, we learned that we needed to ask and expect the filling of the Spirit of God in our lives in Acts chapter 1. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then we will be empowered for effective witness. And we saw this at the tail end of chapter 1 and in chapter 2. And this witnessing power isn't just for the church. In Acts chapter 2, we saw them together as a whole congregation, if you will, on the, uh, on the Temple Mount. And when the Spirit of God came upon them and filled them, then some things began to happen. And the things that began to happen were people were hearing the gospel in their language. And as a result of that, they were becoming uh, followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. Then in, uh, in Acts chapter 3, we saw that not only is it a church thing, because you see, it's easy for us to say, hey, young people, did you know it's easy for us to say? Well, most of the time, the matter is the matter of our whole church does this. But you're going to get put on the uh, hook here in just, what, about a week's time when some of you are going to go off to Bonaire and you're going to be doing things. What I'm going to talk about today really follows up from what came out of last week where in reality it is an individual thing. Now some of us may say, I don't want that to be true. I want it to be just the church thing. I want to kind of snuggle in and be comfortable. I want to hide inside the crowd. But God wants us to realize that the way the gospel is going to make a difference in our marketplace is as we use that marketplace to make a difference. Whether that's at work, whether that's across the back fence, whether that's with our best friends, even whether that's at school, that we are going to be faithful in our witness for God. 
Now we're going to learn about boldness. What does true boldness look like? And some of us who are here are going to say, that isn't me. But I can say to you that if we will listen to God and if we will choose, we can be bold, even when it isn't easy to be bold. So, explosions happen when the Holy Spirit is part of our witnessing. Peter and John had uh, joined with the Holy Spirit in a lame man. You remember last week in chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, a lame man was healed. But that wasn't the end of the event. There were a whole lot of things that happened, and we're actually back to some of the events that grew out of it. You and I will discover similar power, I believe, in our lives when we join with the Holy Spirit in sharing good news. You say, but I'm not good at leading people to Jesus. I'm not good at getting them saved. Well, just let God do that part of it. And all you need to do is just share your witness and live your life, and it will give you opportunities. But, and there's always a fly in the ointment, but, and we're going to learn, begin to learn this week, and then we're going to see it in bold relief next week, the marketplace will often react negatively when God demonstrates his power. It's not going to be that everybody around you is going to accept you. But the goal isn't to be accepted. The goal is to share good news. If you have your Bibles open, I would invite you to look with me at verse 1 of chapter 4. If you don't, you can please follow along on the screen. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to uh, Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and uh, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Now I'll stop there because we want to talk first about those first four verses. Peter and John have been effective in seeing this man healed. Peter and John have been effective in presenting good news to the mass of people that were on the uh, Temple Mount. But the religious leaders were upset. In fact, we are told that immediately, verse number 1, they came to where Peter and John were still sharing good news, and they broke in. They were the people who were in charge. And they figured that they could break into anything that was going on. Don't you just hate it when you're in the middle of a conversation with somebody and someone else comes up and they break right into the middle of it, change the subject and start talking about something else? Well, I suppose Peter and John could have looked at them and said, hey, why don't you go you paddle your canoe in a different pond? Why don't you take a long walk off of a short pier? Why don't you take a flying leap at the moon? They could have said stuff like that, but they didn't. They engaged with these leaders who have begun to challenge them in terms of their speaking. Now, there are four specific things that we're going to see quickly in this passage that take place. Number one, 
when we are seeking to present in the power of the Spirit the good news that Jesus is the Savior, people will attempt to get us to tone down the message. They'll say, don't say that. You shouldn't talk like that. Don't you know that America is a pluralistic country? By the way, that's one of the reasons America's in trouble. Now, we have a responsibility to help people to understand that they need Jesus. But that's the first thing, and that's what was happening here. And uh, that happens to us as well. In fact, some of them will say, you need to realize, now come on, Don, you need to realize that not only do you need to tone this message down, but you need to realize that all ways lead to God. Did you ever hear that before? Mm -hmm, Sure you have. Because it's said so often. And then what ends up happening out of that, the second thing is, if you say, I'm sorry, but that's not quite true. According to the Bible, oh, who cares about the Bible? That's just a bunch of myths, and we don't believe the Bible. Don't be cowed by the statements that say that people don't believe the Bible. Maybe they don't. But it is God's Word that He promises and has committed to use. So stick with the Word, because the Word can be used to cause conviction in the hearts and the minds of people around you. What I need to say to you is, the force of my arguments brings no one to Jesus. Now, I love to debate. In fact, I sometimes jokingly say, if you tie both my hands behind my back and then tie my brain as part of that behind my back, I'll win the argument with you. Uh, The reality is that when we get pompous about what we think we can do, in, in arguing people into coming to know Jesus Christ, you know what happens? They're further turned off. But when we just share good news, when we allow the Spirit of God to work as He's promised that He's going to, He does. Thirdly, they tell us, oh no, secondly, they tell us this, don't be so narrow-minded and bigoted. Have you ever heard that? If you haven't, trust me, you are going to hear that because that is a popular phrase that you see today. If you're on Facebook, you know fully well that Christians are being pounded with these words, narrow-minded and bigoted. They don't say that to other people. They don't recognize that they themselves are narrow-minded and bigoted. But we need to realize that's going to happen. Thirdly, they say, get back in your church buildings. If you want to talk about that, you talk in your church buildings. Don't you do it out here on Main Street. I was telling them in the first service. You know that in the first service, uh, many of the seniors come to that service. And so they could relate to what I uh, was telling them. Some of you maybe will. When I was young, back in the good old days. Now, I don't mean to say that the good old days are better than these days. They aren't. But back in those days, I can remember many times, we would go down to the street corner in the local town, open our Bibles, and start preaching. No crowd around. Just start preaching. And in a few moments, there would be people that would start to come and gather around. Man, it was invigorating. Because it isn't like church, you know, where you all sit in these nice straight lines. You sit there nice and quiet, and you don't say anything. At least you don't say anything out loud. What usually happened when you'd preach on a street corner is, they'd talk to you as much as you were talking to them. They'd catcall you. They'd question what you were saying. They would tell you that they didn't believe that. They would tell you what you looked like. They would tell you what you should look like. They would tell you anything they wanted to. 
But generally speaking, along the way, somebody would say, why don't you take that stuff and go back in the churches where it belongs? But the truth is, many times lost people don't come to the church. And because they don't come to the church, we cannot present good news to them as effectively as we could out there. Now, I'm not saying that we should necessarily go out on the street corners and begin to do that again. We'll talk maybe in a moment about why that could be difficult. But then the fourth thing that you see is this. There is an attempt to shut us down. Sometimes it's a legal attempt, but more often than not, it is some leader saying, we're not going to let you do that. You've got to have a permit to do that. If the mayor and the town council don't tell you, you can't do that. Now, I understand that things need to be done decently and in order, but I also understand that this is America. And there is an amendment to our Constitution that the framers uh, decided should be be there, and those uh, those who have followed up with it, that gives us freedom of speech. And that's a wonderful blessing. And we ought to use it. Now, that doesn't mean we ought to become obnoxious, but we ought to use it. Because we are being silenced, and we are one of the only voices that is being silenced in America. And we in America do not realize that the reason we have been blessed as a nation to this point in time is because of the freedom to present Jesus Christ to people and to invite them to come to know Jesus as their Savior. As we lose that, America loses other freedoms. And as America loses other freedoms, the world that some of you young people and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren are going to grow up in is going to be so vastly different than what it is today that it will be difficult, like it was in those early days, to present the gospel without tremendous persecution. But you'll see if you look at verse 2 that as a result of it, the religious leaders, they were, they were really upset. The word that is used in the text is the word disturbed. And that word is really way, way, way too weak in terms of describing what's going on. They were annoyed. They were deeply troubled. They were deeply distressed at what Peter and John were doing on the Temple Mount. Now, what Peter and John were doing was common for people to do. It didn't matter who you were, whatever it was that you were going to present as a way of thought was going to be presented on the Temple Mount. Even though it was the place of worship of God uh, and the place where the Jews considered sacred, other views were oftentimes given there. So Peter and John find themselves on the Temple Mount doing exactly that actually presenting the truth that we see in both the Old and the New Testament about the Messiah, about Jesus. Now, the reason these leaders are disturbed is because Peter and John didn't ask permission. It was like, huh, you have to ask our permission to do this. What are we going to do? When we're told that we have to ask permission from someone who is a leader in our community that we cannot talk about Jesus, what are we going to do? It's a dilemma that we face. And let me say to you, there needs to be the Spirit's wisdom. Because so often what we see is we see Christians becoming obnoxious, doing illegal things, becoming very, very obtuse, 
getting in the face of the people who are challenging them. And that's not the way for us to do this. But as we have the force of our lives, as we have the force of our words, maybe the better word is the power of our lives and the power of our words, those begin to take effect. And we don't have to be pugilistic. We don't have to fight about this. We just simply have to live it. And when we live it, what ends up happening is people will get angry. People will step back. But people will come to know Jesus, as again we'll see in a moment. Now, what they were really, really upset at was that uh, Peter and John were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, some of the leaders didn't believe in the resurrection. All of the believers did not believe that the Messiah would ever suffer or die. They thought when he came, that was going to be the end of everything as far as they'd had to face up to that point in time that he was going to take over and everything was going to go forward. And so they were upset at this being taught that the Messiah was going to die, was going to be punished, was going to be killed, and that he would rise again. But if they had even read the scriptures they had, that's the Old Testament, they would have discovered that in a number of different places, we'll not refer to only but one of them here in a few moments, in the Old Testament it talks about the fact that the one who is the Messiah was going to be persecuted, was going to be punished, was going to be arrested, was going to be killed, was going to be buried, was going to rise again. And so this is why they were upset at Peter and John. But in verse 4, there are the other people who are hearing it. And they're saying, this is good news. We've never heard anything like this before. Why haven't our leaders told us about it? And in verse 4, it tells us that they believed and trusted. And then notice the next thing in verse 4 that it says, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, there's some discussion as to how many that means are now believers, now followers of Jesus, because on the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 people have trusted Christ. Now we have possibly 5,000 more, or the men from there and there totaling up to 5,000. I can't settle the argument for you with regards to that, All I know is this, that the word that is used back in Acts 2 when the people were getting saved meant men, women, children. The word that is used here is an actual Greek word used only for men. That doesn't mean that only men got saved. It's just the way that they chose to construct this particular numbering of things. But can you see what is happening in the the church in Jerusalem? There's an explosion of growth. Because spirit-filled men and women were living their faith in front of their world and were talking to people about what Jesus had done and these people were responding and being saved. On the day of Pentecost, 120 disciples were there so we could say the congregation were being used as a congregation to reach out to these 3,000 people who come to know Jesus as their Savior. But look at this text. It's two men who are being used by God to win numerous people to Jesus Christ. Our problem, our problem today is that we do not believe 
that God can use us to profoundly affect people for Jesus Christ. <laughs> there are some people who say, I'll tell you, if you've ever really done this, you won't do what I'm going to say. There are some people who say, well, I've won one, that's enough. No. If you've ever won somebody to Jesus Christ, you're so pumped up about it that you want to go out and do it again and again and again. And the more you do it, the more you want to do it, and the more you want to do it, the more you'll try, and the more you try, the more God uses you. Peter and John were pumped. But listen, Peter and John are no different than you. Huh. Think about this a moment. They were just two common, ordinary people. Some of you are saying, but I'm not old enough. When I'm older, maybe I could do that. They were very, very old and very, very skilled. Uh-uh. At the time we're talking about, Peter was probably 25, 26 years of age. And John was probably 18 or 19 years of age. Hmm. So you don't have to be old to do this. You don't have to be old to profoundly affect people. All you have to do is be willing. So what I want you to do this morning... I want you to look at somebody who's sitting beside you. Now, before you do that, I'm, I, you can do that. That's fine. Look at them if you want. But I want you to look at the person beside you, and I want you to say, I am willing. How about you? Okay? Do it. Come on. Now, it's really interesting to watch you do this, because some of you are just kind of... I hope every one of us in the room this morning would like to be a Peter, a John. Wow. Think about it. Changing Pekin. Now, I haven't been around Pekin for a long time, and I have not been here enough to be able to get a sense of Pekin, but I suspect that Pekin's like almost every other town, village, city in America where there are thousands and thousands of people today who didn't go to church, who don't care about their relationship to Jesus Christ, and are lost. Did you know that some of them are people that Jesus will save? He wants us to get into the middle of this and start to do something so that we can make a difference as well. Now, I read you verses 5 through 7 as well. They'll appear again on the screen, and you can follow along in your Bible. But what happens now is, after this happens, that infuriates the leaders even more. And so when they are brought before the, uh, brought before the, the leaders, Peter and, uh, Peter and John have to give a defense. Now, would you look at the list in verses uh, 5 and 6 that it lists there? It talks about rulers, which is the chief priest. It talks about elders and that's family heads and heads of tribes. talks about teachers, and that's scribes, experts in the law, mostly the Pharisees. It names Annas, who was the former high priest who had been deposed by Rome. It talks about Caiaphas, that's uh, the son-in-law of Annas, who, was, who replaced him at the behest of, uh, of the Roman government. Then John, who was possibly Annas' son, Alexander, that we don't know anything about, and then others from the family of the high priest. Now, this was not July 4th where they got together for uh, corn and, uh, and hot dogs and, and uh, fireworks and all that kind of stuff. This is, uh, 
This is a family affair. They are feeling vicious. They are getting each other so that they can whip each other up against Peter and John so that they are going to be able to convince Peter and John to shut up. Hmm. So what happens? They start to question them. Do you see in verse 7? It says, then uh, they had uh, Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Now, by what power or what name did you do this? This word question is interesting because it isn't like, uh, okay, now I'm going to ask you a question and you're going to answer it. It was like from all over that mob family, maybe they were a mob. In actual fact, if you look in history, they pretty much were. In any case, as soon as the questioning started from all over, they started darting questions at them, not waiting for their answers, just simply saying, how did you do this? What makes you think that you can do this? And so Peter and John were faithful to wait, were faithful to answer, were faithful to try and represent Jesus Christ correctly. And here's the thing that caused the Uh, people who were there questioning, the reason they didn't really want to believe what Peter and John was saying, well, it was a hard issue, but they couldn't believe that somebody who was, quotes, uneducated could do this. We've made a panacea out of education. Now, I I say, I I teach at a college, And I always say to the students, you need to get as much education as God will allow you to get and not one day more. (laughs) My reason being, education isn't the answer. You say, well, what gives you the right to say that? Well, I have two earned doctorates. And it doesn't make me any better, any smarter, any more able to do the work of God than does a person who doesn't have that kind of education. They thought of these two men as ignorant fishermen. Hmm. If you've ever been, and that doesn't mean, you know, casting a line into the, into the river or, or into the stream. I mean, they were out doing commercial fishing. You didn't get to do business and be successful on the Sea of Galilee unless you knew how to do it. You had to, you had to have some smarts about you. But they're looking at them and they're saying, how can you preach a message about the Messiah? How can you do this? When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can do it. And what ends up happening, if you look at the end of verse number 13, these critical words are given there. And they, speaking of those who were firing these questions at them, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So what I want to say to you this morning is this. Get with Jesus. Take time with Jesus. Spend time in the Word of God, allowing your mind to be saturated by the truth that is there. Memorize Scripture. Study the Word. Think of ways that you can use what you are studying, applying it in your life, so that you will be able to effectively apply it in the lives of others. And you will be amazed at how different your conversation will be when you're talking to people 
you will begin to realize that in a moment, in an instant, at that very second, the Spirit of God gives you guidance in your life. Now what did they do? Very quickly, let me kind of go where we need to so that we finish up on time here this morning. They said, we're commanding you to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. I don't want to be arrogant. And I hope that I will have a humble heart and an appropriate mind. But I'm waiting for some authority in some city or some town or some whatever government to tell me, command me, that I can't speak in the name of Jesus. Why? Because I know full well that if I'm filled with the Spirit of God, I won't be able to shut up. Listen. You may say, well, I'm going to shut up. Then I question. I question the reality of your profession. You say, you're not allowed to judge me. No, I'm not. God is the judge. But when I say I question your profession, I don't think Christians can keep quiet about the fact that they are believers. It is an oxymoron to say, I am a silent Christian, or I am a secret Christian. Well, I've been that for 10 years. Look at your profession. Is it real? Because if it's real, then you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you need to call, the, call on God to fill you with your spirit. Notice what they said in verse 20. Look, Peter and John, they're standing before this august group of individuals who have now been silenced by what they have been saying, and, and they, uh, they say to them this, verse 20, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen And heard. Now listen to me. They chose not to follow the command. Why? Because they knew they couldn't. They knew they needed to follow what God had called them to do. So what ends up happening? The Sanhedrin looks at them, the Jewish leaders look at them, the high priest looks at them, and they said, You'd better obey us. You'd better do what it is we're telling you to do, or else. (laughs) It's a good thing I wasn't there. I'd have been too arrogant in the situation. I said, or else what? So what I'm going to say to you in that regard is, they didn't say that, but we're going to find out the or else what next week when we come back to look into the Bible and into the Word and find out. So what are we seeing here? What do I want you to take away from this this morning? You don't have to be a person who is a pulpit banger. You don't have to shout and yell. You ever see the uh, comedies on television? I, I kind of laugh when I see them. They, they, they represent us as preachers in this way. I'll actually demonstrate for you. God loves you, and you better follow him, or you're going straight to hell. Now, that doesn't fit together. The attitude isn't yelling and screaming and banging and and pushing and pulling. The truth is, 
that God does love them. And the truth is that rejecting Jesus Christ and his offer of salvation and coming to the end of your life means that you have made a choice which will end up putting you in hell. But what we need to do is we need to look at people and say, I'm sorry you feel that way. God has shown us in his word. So go back, if you will, please, to verse 12, and this is how I will finish out. In verse 12, the disciples, John and Peter, say to the people and to the religious leaders, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So when somebody says, all roads lead to God, when somebody says, well, if you are Islamic, if you are Buddhist, if you are a Shintoist, if you are, and you can put any of the others that you're thinking of in there, you're going to get there. We call that universalism. And the Bible is very clearly pointing out that that's not true. In this verse alone, we see it. Where is salvation found? Salvation is found in Jesus Christ. There's no other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ. So across this audience, there are many of you, maybe most of you, who can look to a time in your life where you repented of your sin before God and by faith trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. And you became God's child. What a wonderful freedom that is. It's greater than any freedom you have experienced here in this country. It's the greatest freedom of all. But there are some in this congregation, you only come because somebody in your family wants you to come. You sit here and you endure it, and you go home, and things are no different than they were when you came. There are some of you who are here in this audience, for whatever reason you came, you're rebellious against this message. You don't believe it. You don't want any part of it. There are some of you this morning who are here, maybe that fit in that category or one of those categories or even a completely different category, and the Spirit of God is speaking in your heart, in your mind, and saying, that's what you need. You need what Peter and John were preaching, what those 5,000 men and other people trusted. You need Jesus as your Savior. You need the freedom that Don is talking about. Friend, this morning's the morning when you should come to know Jesus. Because I said so? No. I've shared good news with you. But because God is calling you. And if he's calling you to himself, you need to come to him. In a few moments when I'm done, I'll, I'll stand down here as the service is dismissed. And if God's spirit is dealing with you, and you need to be saved, you come and see me. Either I will or I will get someone else to show you how you can know for certain that you are God's child. Others of you, if you do need to approach me, please feel free to do that. Uh, I uh, want to be able to talk with any who wish to or need to talk with me this morning. That's one of the reasons that I'm here, and I make myself available to do that. Can we pray together? 
God, our Father, across this audience, there are people who are saying, oh, oh, I know I'm not that bold. I know I need to become that bold. Oh, I'm afraid to become that bold. Would you give them the strength to make the choice to realize that salvation comes through the name of Jesus Christ? And that's the only way that people get saved. That there are people all over Pekin, and your spirit is speaking to their hearts. They maybe don't yet own and understand how that's happening, and they need to come to know Jesus. Would you help them to choose to be that bold? God, I pray for this team that's going to Bonaire, and I ask that as they go there, Lord, for some of these teenagers, maybe for all of them, I don't know, this will be the very first time that they will win somebody to Jesus. Light a fire in them if that's true. If they are going back to it and winning more to Jesus, help them to realize that this is what you called them to do. Use them mightily for your glory. God, for the man, the woman, the young person who's in here who doesn't know Jesus, Lord, would you draw them with such strong cords that they will come, not to get educated, not to become a member of First Baptist Church, but to come to be part of the family of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going we're gonna to close in prayer here. And as Dr. Don said, he's going to be up here. Anybody that's got uh, something that maybe you've never understood before, uh, what Jesus did for you, or you've got another question, I just encourage you to come up here. Uh, let's pray. Father, I, I do thank you for that message and that reminder of all the bold saints uh, in the past, and we are to follow their mo- motto. We're your plan A, not your plan B. We're the ones that are to take the gospel. We're the ones that are to make a difference. And uh, just like we prayed earlier, I'm asking you, God, to start in each one of our hearts And then if you do that, we'll come together as a church body and then as a community and have an effect on this whole nation. Thank you again, Father, for the freedom. But with that freedom comes huge responsibility, and I pray we won't forget that. I ask you, Father, to let us us go out and make a real difference in our community. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go out and make that difference, won't you, folks? See you next week.